0: son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. I trust you have the text of Colossians chapter 1 in front of you in printed form or electronic form. Um, Please do. Uh, Our brothers and sisters in China hide their Bibles beneath the floor so that the police will not find them and confiscate them. Christians throughout history have died for the right to read their Bible, and so we have this great privilege this morning of turning to God's Word. So uh, I invite you to have your, your Scripture open in front of you to uh, the book of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, from the text that we read earlier uh, this morning, I want to just look at the final verses of that. We've been looking at verses 9 through um, 14, uh, and uh, in my translation, the Eastern e- um, English Standard Version, uh, it's a series of sentences in a paragraph, in the Greek it's actually all one sentence. It's a major clause with subordinate clauses and subordinating conjunctions and relatives and all all those other things, but uh, because we don't think in a Greek grammar pattern, um, if you do, I'm sorry, but uh, we we think in in other kinds of of linguistic patterns, so our translations break it down into uh, sentences. Uh, But it's really all just one thought, this flow uh, through uh, the prayer that Paul offers up for these Colossian Christians. Um, This morning, what I would like for us to do is to look at the very last part of that as uh, we conclude uh, looking at the paragraph. Let's, Let's start at verse 11. Sentence starts there, but um, really where I want for our thoughts to begin is, is at verse 12, but we get a running start into it at verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Who? and This begins all the, the, the relative uh, phrases and clauses and things. He says, give, give thanks to the Father, but, but let me talk about the Father for a second. Let me give you some of the things that that are going to inspire this thanksgiving to the Father that I'm writing about. And so, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom, that is in Christ, uh, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you look at verse 13... He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transformed us to the kingdom of His dear Son. We've been looking at the letter of Colossians in terms of having clarity in our world. Uh, from our world, from our culture, from the various voices in the media, from the various academic, philosophical uh, uh, pundits who would, who would speak uh, whatever wisdom they claim to have. Uh, we are getting all kinds of different directions that uh, they, they claim life should go in, different sets of values, different, different sort of claims on our allegiance. And so, we live in a world in which we have this this just um, uh, great number of... Of different voices speaking to us, trying to gain our attention and, and to claim our allegiance. And as believers in Jesus Christ, it is absolutely necessary that we have clarity about who we are, what we're about, what we're doing here. And so what we have done is we have been looking at Colossians, talking to a, world, a, a city of Colossae that was filled with many religions, philosophies, and political sort of movements, and uh, seeing that their world was much like our world. It was an amalgamation, if you will, of the uh, that's a big word for mishmash, of different ideas. And in this sort of murky environment in which it was hard to see what was going on in their world, Paul writes about having clarity as a believer in Jesus Christ. We're, we're moving deeper and deeper into that notion of having clarity. And so in the midst of that, he says, give thanks to the Father who, among other things, in verse 13, has transferred us. Other translations say translated us. He's taken us from the domain Or the kingdom of darkness, the Greek word there for domain is exousia. It means the authority, uh, the ability to to mandate and to control and to determine. So he's taken us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and he has translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now what I want to suggest to you is that there is a kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness. Now... Can you turn on your television or read the media or go through whatever is blasted at you from the uh, from, uh, internet sources? Can you in, in, in any way possible deny but that darkness is all around us? And that this world is very much a world filled with darkness. We live in a world that is in rebellion against God. God who is light, rejecting God, rebelling against God, indifferent to God. We live in a world filled with darkness. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I know a lot of people who aren't Christians. They're very fine people. That's right. But they're surrounded by darkness. Say, I know a lot of folks who've written some wonderful things, have terrific insight into human psychology and sociology and philosophy. Yes, but they are living in a world of darkness. And they are surrounded by the darkness. We live in a world that is dominated by this rejection of the authority of God and the embracing of the self, the ego, as the absolute center of the universe. Now, a lot of you know that I like preschoolers. I don't like to babysit them unless they're mine, but um, uh, they're different. But well, what I love about preschoolers is they teach us everything you need to know about human nature. I mean, th- think about the preschoolers in your life. How many of them come into the world and learn to talk, and the first words out of their mouths is something like this, "Mummy, Daddy, can I share? <laughs> Mummy, Daddy, would it be all right with you if... I just uh, helped other people first. Mummy, Daddy, I'm hungry now, but don't worry about me. I'll just sit here for a while, and when you get ready, that's fine with me. Brussels sprouts? Yum, love Brussels sprouts, mummy, Daddy. <laughs> no, you, you say the ice cream's bad. See, what does a preschooler have? Has this notion of self. And uh, th- this, this isn't some condemnation of preschoolers. This is just human nature. We sort of think that the universe revolves around us. Preschoolers think the world revolves around them. If you're a parent of a preschooler, you think the world revolves around them, but that's a different story. But when you just look at where we are naturally, we come into the world with this notion that my needs are paramount. You know, little kid doesn't know anybody else has any needs. just knows I'm hungry. I want to be fed. I want to be comfortable. And that's the way we are. We are born into the world this way. You see, there's a kingdom of darkness in which that sort of uh, self-centered, self-focused kind of life is just magnified as it develops more and more ways to assert itself in the world. Until you wind up with big preschoolers who just happen to have a Ph.D., and they walk through life still thinking, you know, ultimately it's about me, it's about my happiness, it's about my welfare, and sure, I'll share with others, but they better share back so that there's sort of like a quid pro quo, and it all equals out, and, and it'll all work out together. That's where we are. That's human nature. You see, there's a kingdom of darkness, and that kingdom belongs to us by Right? See, no one can deny us entry into the kingdom of darkness. We're already there. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. This is just who we are. It's just human beings. It's it's human nature. It's a fallen human nature in a sinful world. And so this kingdom of darkness is ours by right. We're already there. And this kingdom of darkness is ours by desire. That is, we actually like it. We actually want to be in the kingdom of darkness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we're we're told that men loved darkness rather than light. You'd think it'd be the other way around, but no, men love the darkness because the darkness hides your deeds. In the darkness, you can can fool people. In darkness, you can keep at a distance those who would claim uh, some kind of control on your life or input in your life. In the darkness, you can get away with a lot of things. And we love the darkness. You know, it's not, not just like, well, sometimes we're darkness, sometimes we're light. No, we love the darkness. And it is ours by desire. That's why the, the, this mania we have in our culture today, that if you have an appetite, if you have a hunger, if you have a lust, it must be satisfied. Because that's what we love. And what we love is Darkness. So it's ours by right, it's ours by desire, and it's ours by default. I mean, this is just where we are, and it's where we're going to wind up. If you have darkness, the result of darkness is more darkness. No, you can't fan the darkness into light. You cannot uh, sort of reshape the darkness and suddenly blast force with illumination. This darkness is the default condition of our lives. It's the default way that we live our lives. And so we are born into a world of darkness. We are in the kingdom under the authority of darkness, in the domain of darkness in our lives. Now, the Bible describes that in a couple of ways. The Bible describes that as being lost. It talks about it as being dead in your sins and trespasses. It talks about it as being in bondage and slavery to sin. All these different ways are are, are different ways of talking about the fact that there is a kingdom of darkness and we are in it by right, by desire, and by default. You know, Jesus knew some people who knew that they were in darkness. You know, when he met the lepers, he was, he was walking down the road, and there, there was a collection of lepers, 10 lepers off in the distance, and, and the law said that when a leper saw you coming, he had to shout out, tame, which meant unclean. And these lepers, knowing that they were in the darkness, knowing that they were in a hopeless estate, knowing that they were on the outskirts of society, they had to live in caves, they they had to keep away from the good folks and those kinds of things, these lepers, knowing that they were in darkness, but seeing Jesus Christ welled up in their hearts, that they cried out, not A unclean, but Jesus, have mercy on us. And here's what Jesus did. He reached out and he touched the leper, He touched the leper, and he healed him and sent them on their way. He got a 10% return, but he healed them all. And he brought the light into their lives. There, there were some people who knew they were in darkness. Blind Bartimaeus knew he was in the darkness. And when Jesus came by, he shouted out, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They said, Bartimaeus, be quiet, be quiet. And you can just hear his thought process. Wait a minute. I'm in darkness here. He's got the light. I want Jesus. So he knew he was in the darkness. Jesus came over, and said, Bart, what do you want? Bart, uh, Bartimaeus said, Jesus, I want to see you again. You know, just a preposterous thing to say, Jesus, I want to see again. Jesus said, fine, see, open your eyes, look around. Bartimaeus, knowing he was in the darkness, came into the light because of Jesus Christ. See, over and over again, Jesus was meeting people who knew they were in the darkness, but they were people who were living lives in desperation. You know, that, that's one of the things that being desperate in your life will do. It'll start making you um, think about and understanding that I'm in the darkness here and I need the light. You start to to, to to peel away all those sort of self-delusionary thoughts and, and values, and you, and you realize, I'm in the darkness here. I need the light. And so out of their desperation, knowing they were in the darkness, they cried out to Jesus. Now, he also met somebody who thought he might be in the darkness. This was Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus. What does the Gospel of John say? By night. Don't Don't... You know, that, that's John telling us he was in the darkness. But he came to Jesus by night. And he said, Jesus, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a scholar. I, I know the scriptures. I, I, I obey the, the, the law. I'm a, I'm a, a religious person here. I, I, and, I, and I think I'm okay. That's all in the lines between the Greek text. You have to study it a long time to know. That. But he says, but Jesus, what must I do? What do I need to do to know? to have eternal life. What what needs to happen? And Jesus said, well, Nick, what you need is to be born again. Now, that born-again experience, Nicodemus, you're not going to understand it. But look, you don't understand where the wind comes from. You don't know how it blows and causes the trees to move. That's a complete mystery to you, and yet it happens all the time, Nicodemus. That's the same way the Holy Spirit needs to get a hold. Life and give you new life from within. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you're in the darkness. You need to come to the light. So Nicodemus suspected that there was a problem, and Jesus said, and here's what it is. Here's how it unfolds. But Jesus met a whole lot of people who were in darkness but thought they were okay in the light. And you know what the frightening thing about that is? The people Jesus met who thought they were okay but were really in the darkness almost always were religious people. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who could point to their name on the church roll. They were the ones who could tell you that they had a lineage, that their daddy, their granddaddy, their great-granddaddy, they were all Baptist preachers. They could tell you that they had grown up in Sunday school and they knew the Bible. They could tell you that they could sing the hymns. In fact, they could sing the bass part of the alto part in the hymns. They were religious people, but they were in the darkness. But because they were so proud of their religiosity, they didn't know they were in the darkness, and so they never cried out to Christ, and they remained in the darkness. Some of them came out, the book of Acts tells us, some of the priests, some of the Pharisees came out as the Holy Spirit got a hold of their lives. So Jesus knew people who who were in the darkness, people who were in the darkness but weren't sure, and there were people in the darkness but they didn't think they were in the darkness. But we are in the darkness. There's a kingdom of darkness. But I want you to see the grace of God. This is why you're going to be thanking and praising the Father. This is why when you go home this afternoon, it's going to well up within you if you have any sensitivity at all. There, how do you? But you're just going to want for this verse. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. By the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we are not in the darkness, we are in the kingdom of Christ. Now, we won't understand this unless we we sort of go back to where Paul is in his understanding of Scripture. See, he he was a scholar of the Old Testament. And what he knew was that God had elected the children of Israel. You know, how odd of God to choose the Jews, but that's what he did. He elected them, and they were in Egypt in bondage, in slavery. Now, that slavery was not a, a happy thing. Slavery is a horrible thing. In fact, there's different kinds of slavery, and the very worst kind of slavery is chattel slavery. That's what we had in the United States. It's a terrible condition. There's no way to make nice out of it. And the Jews were in slavery in Egypt. Their lives did not belong to them. Their work, their labor did not belong to them. They did not have freedom of movement and all those kinds of things. The Pharaoh at one point decided, you know, I I kind of want to get rid of you guys. And so he started killing off the newborn boy babies. It was tough even back then, guys. And in this captivity, in this slavery of Egypt, God, out of his grace, heard the prayers of his people, and he sent Moses, who went to Pharaoh, and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. They negotiated a little bit, a lot better deal than we're reading about these days, And he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, despoiling the land, and he brought them in the wilderness. God, the the whole story, God guided them through the wilderness, brought them to the promised land. So this is the story of God's people. They were enslaved in the kingdom of Egypt. God brought them out and put them into a new nation that eventually became the kingdom of David, and God promised his Messiah would sit upon the throne of David. So, Paul is thinking about the Old Testament, and he says, children of Israel, in the kingdom of Egypt, in bondage, in slavery, God rescues them. He delivers them from that kingdom of bondage, takes them through the wilderness, and deposits them in a new nation, in a new kingdom. And so, in Colossians, when he says that we have been rescued, delivered, what does the ESV said? I've, I've read this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, he's saying, God has taken us out of that darkness of Egypt, and he has brought us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Man, I just want to spend a moment here and glorify God for Christ. He's a king like no other. He's a king like you have never known before. You'll never read about a king like Jesus Christ in the history books. For the throne that that Jesus sits on is a heavenly throne But he comes off that throne, and he rules from his hands and his knees before the people whom he loves. He doesn't hold an orb or a scepter. He has a towel and a basin, and he's washing the feet of the people he loves. He does not exact taxes that he might take wealth from the people, but he gives the wealth and the riches of heaven to those who are in the abject poverty of their sin. We have a king like no other. That's why in a moment we're going to say, crown him with many crowns. One's not enough. He deserves a crown of love. He deserves a crown of righteousness. He deserves a crown of power and glory. He deserves a crown of wisdom and strength. He deserves every crown. He deserves every crown. Crown him with many crowns. He is a king who reigns from on high, but he reaches down to those who are in the lowest depths of life on the earth and he lifts us up. We have a king like no other. I just want to to praise him for that. Now, so Paul says, we have the kingdom of Christ. How did we get there? How did we get there? Paul tells us, uh, we'll just look at a few thoughts here, and that will illuminate the question. Verse 11, in whom, by the way, in whom means in Christ, and this is, again, another subordinating clause that's going to launch us down to another set of subordinate clauses that we'll start looking at next week about Jesus. Um, but he says, first in verse 14, In whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption. Anybody remember green stamps? <laughs> <laughs> anybody under the age of 30 remember green stamps? Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's uh, got to go (laughs) That was an illustration that's just out the door Okay, That word redeem means to buy back Means to buy out of slavery and out of bondage It was the word that was used when someone was captured as a prisoner of war And his home government went and purchased his freedom to bring him home That word redeem was the word that would be used if you were a slave in the Greco-Roman world and and you you had earned and gotten enough money to to purchase the freedom. You weren't allowed to buy your freedom. You would go to the local temple of of one of the gods and, and that priest would buy your freedom. But that was called redemption. We have been redeemed. We've been bought out of slavery. We've been purchased and taken and brought out of the darkness. And the price that was paid is not a price that we could afford. It's not a price that we could afford. You know, it's, it's not as though we could work hard enough, earn enough money, and then we would have the price and we could purchase our own freedom in Christ. No! It's not even as if we could contribute to the cause. You know, I have a little bit, and if Jesus will just have matching funds and a matching fund drive, then we'll be okay. No. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all for every sin, for everyone who comes by faith, the grace of God all-sufficient. We are redeemed, and we're unashamed to say so. Because we were in the kingdom of darkness, and Jesus Christ has redeemed us, he's brought us out of that slavery to darkness. Now, he go, Paul goes on, at the end, end of the verse, he says, what this redemption means, uh, he gives an, um, a positive statement, he says, the forgiveness of sins. That redemption means the forgiveness of sins. You ever realize how central forgiveness is to the life of the Christian? First of all, we need forgiveness. First of all, we need to have our sins forgiven, taken out of the way, so that we will not bear them or the guilt or the shame any longer. But secondly, what the Bible tells us is that the way that we live out the forgiveness God gives us is by forgiving others. Not that we earn forgiveness, but because we are forgiven, we live lives that forgive others. And out of the same love and compassion and mercy that God has had for us in Christ, we treat and deal with others in the same way. And so, but we have that forgiveness of our sins. They're taken away because we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing about how we got from the darkness into the light, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is because uh, we are redeemed. Christ has died for our sins. He's, he's paid the price. Uh, secondly, look at verse. I'm going to say 13. That word delivered. Look, folks, I know what I'm doing here. Just don't. In verse 15, he says, He has delivered us. That is, he has moved us from one spot to another. He's moved us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has moved us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He has accomplished that transition, that transference of where we live. This is why the believer in Jesus Christ is not controlled by the world. You don't have to be controlled by the world. You think you do. You think you have to have all the things that... The world says you have to have. You think you have to have the, the same attitudes. You think you have to have the same priorities. You think you have to have the same insanity, the same crazy sort of, of, of desire and pursuit of riches and wealth. You think you have to have these things. That's the world, but you don't because you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You have been delivered from that. So that's the second thing God does. And then thirdly, in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Now, that's a big word for Paul. You see, Paul was a Jew, and the Jews are the chosen people of God. And so, um, they, they, they knew they were qualified. How, how did a Jew know he was qualified? Just look at the DNA structure. Now, you look at the DNA structure, you realize this is a chosen person of God, keep the law, all those kinds of things, qualified to be in the kingdom. But Gentiles have a problem. Paul says that the Father qualifies us Gentiles to be sons, to be daughters, to be citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He qualifies us. Uh, That that made me think of a phone call I got the other day. It was uh, was one of those robocalls. Normally you look at it and you just turn it off. Are you ever in a mood to actually answer a robocall? I think it's sin. But um, uh, anyway, so I'll I'll, I'll confess. One one day I I, I got this call and, and turned it on. There was the robocall. Hello, you have been qualified for a free solar panel energy system in your home. Am I the only one who got that call?" <laughs> and I was just in the kind of mood <laughs> that I, you know, press one if you would like to hear more. So I pressed one, and I got a live person, and I realized, you know, he's reading from a script in, in the little notebook, and he's reading to me, he said, "'Well, welcome, you have been qualified to get a...'' I said, "'Wait a minute! How did you qualify me?' He says, what do you mean? I said, what do you know about me that you know I qualify? Do you know my bank account? Do you, do you know my credit scores? Do you know my purchase history? Do you, what do you know about me that qualifies me? I said it gentler than that. <laughs> the guy says, well, actually, everybody qualifies. <laughs> I said, so I don't really qualify. I just exist. He said, yeah, that's about right. He <laughs> said, but what we'd like to do is send a technician out to your home to find out if your roofs are facing the right direction to see if you qualify for a free. I said, wait a minute. You just said I, I qualified. Now you're saying you want to see if I qualify. He said, well, well, yeah, your, your roofs have to be in the right direction and you know, face the sun and so much, you know, kilowattage. And, and... Well, the conversation went downhill from there. But God has qualified us to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he has qualified us, and he does know our credit history. He knows our buying patterns. He knows our bank accounts. Not only that, he knows our sin. He knows our heart. He knows the depth of our wickedness. He knows our frailty, our our, our foolishness. God knows everything about us. And by grace in Jesus Christ, he qualifies us to, to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is God who qualifies us. You don't submit an application, and maybe you simply accept the grace of God by faith. And God qualifies us to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that's what God has done for us. He's he's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's delivered us. And he has qualified us for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is a kingdom like no other. You remember Jesus was was with um, uh, Pontius Pilate, and uh, Pilate was a little bit concerned about this Jesus guy because what Jesus was doing looked a little bit like insurrection, because he kept talking about a kingdom thing, and the Romans weren't keen on people setting up a new kingdom. I mean, they were, they were like into the power thing. So uh, Jesus, you know, says, you know, has been talking about the kingdom of God and all that, and... and uh, Uh, Pilate asked him about that, and you remember what Jesus said, John chapter 18. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Anybody want to, you know, just stand up with a good Pentecostal shout and say hallelujah? You see, his kingdom isn't just this world tweaked a little here, tweaked a little there, and made a little bit better. The kingdom of Jesus Christ isn't about living better with God and being better at living. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not of this world. It's a supernatural kingdom that you enter only by the grace of God. And so if it's not a kingdom of this world, we're not going to let the things of the world infiltrate us any longer. It's not a kingdom of this world. And so the world's insanity, the world's um, relativistic sort of morality, the world's uh, pursuit of power, pursuit of influence, pursuit of wealth and material possessions, the, the world's crazy insanity is not a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And because we've been brought into his kingdom, it's not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. And so Paul, in chapter 3, book of Colossians, he's going to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set our eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. We're not going to be looking at the things of earth. We're going to be thinking and looking at the things of Jesus Christ. So his kingdom is not of this world. The other thing about the kingdom is that it's still to come. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. The day is coming when he establishes his kingdom. You won't go into the details of it, but Revelation tells us that there's a thousand-year kingdom. What that means is it's a forever-type kingdom. Uh, The kingdom of Babylon vanishes in an hour. The kingdom of Christ lasts a thousand years. He says that's a way of saying it lasts forever. That day's coming. Day's coming when everybody's going to acknowledge him. Every eye will see him every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming, but the kingdom is also now. Jesus told the people, he said, look, if I'm casting out demons by the the power of the finger of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. Jesus went about, and when Mark summarized the the preaching of Jesus, he, he did it this way, the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent, be baptized for forgiveness. The kingdom is now. That future glory is folded over into our lives now. This is the great thing about faith in Jesus Christ. All the wonder and all the glory that is promised to us is real now as well. This kingdom of Jesus Christ, you don't have to wait for it. It can work in your life now. And the other thing about the kingdom of Jesus Christ is it's, it's a lot like A pearl. A pearl that, uh, that uh, a man found. He was going through the marketplace. Some of you like flea markets. I don't know why you buy fleas, uh, but I can get them for you wholesale. But uh, you're going through the flea market, and, and uh, he, he comes upon this pearl, and it's worth. It's incredible. And he goes home, and he sells everything he has so he can come back and buy that pearl. All his friends are saying, he's nuts. He's crazy. You know. What kind of loon gives up all that stuff? And then they find out what he bought for it. It was a pearl of great price. And people understood. This kingdom of Jesus Christ is like a treasure that was buried in a field, and the owner forgot it was there and eventually passed away in his distance. So many years later, a guy's gone through the field. He's got one of those metal detectors. Okay, come on. I'll come back to that in a second. you know somebody who has one of those metal detectors anybody have one yourself because I I don't want to say anything you do good amen that's great (laughs) see the rest of us are saying huh you know commercial says bring the family together have fun finding bottle caps in the beach you know okay they're antique bottle caps but let's be honest haven't you at one point racked your brain trying to figure out, do I have a friend who owns one of those things because you lost something, right? Oh, yeah, you're, you're all looking down studying the Bible right now because you don't want to admit it, okay. So anyway, this guy has a metal detector. And he's going along, just finds this treasure. Now, the law says you buy the field, you buy everything in it. And he goes out and he sells everything he's got and he buys the field. And his friends are looking at him like he's nuts. He said, why would you sell everything you have to buy that field? You, You paid way more than it's worth. Don't you know that there's a field bubble and it's going to go down in value? Until they saw him dig up the treasure and then they understood. It was all worth it. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is all worth it. And so Paul says that we thank the Father, we praise the Father, because he has delivered us, he's rescued us from the kingdom, from the domain of darkness, and he has translated, transferred us, brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that'll give you clarity. Once you figure out... I'm in the kingdom of Christ, you know. I'm not not in the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of materialism, kingdom of, of anger. I'm in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'm in the kingdom where love triumphs over hatred, where forgiveness triumphs over vengeance, where mercy triumphs over judgmentalism. I'm in a kingdom where grace abounds, and I can live that way because I'm in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Crown him with many crowns. Crown him our Lord, our God, our King. Pray with me, please. And Father in heaven, I'm just so thankful that this kingdom is not of our making. I'm so thankful, Father, that this kingdom is not one that we've designed, for we would have messed it up a long time ago. But thank you, Father, for taking us out of the darkness of our sins and placing us in the light, placing us in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But, Father, for that one here this morning, for whom that rescue is not a reality and for whom that forgiveness of sin is not an experience of their own, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to bring that heart to Jesus and to give the courage of faith to claim him as Lord, as Savior and as king. Father, let your name be glorified as we live and move in your kingdom, the kingdom of your Son. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you're following along,